Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings, which includes all kinds of crazy content, including a few bits and pieces about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 38. I'm here once again with my trusty co-host, Mr. Andrew Brock. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. My second episode back. I'm doing I know. This is crazy. Flabbergasted. Flabbergasted. I tell I'm you. all like out of sorts, though, because the last few episodes have been all recorded and published in reverse order and in between one another. And it's like, oh, my God. I don't yeah, like it. It's complicated. It's just- yeah, and I don't know, like this sound trap is like acting up lately and it's like not allowing me to save as much in terms of length. So mm-hmm. like I've been, the last episode we put up, I had to cut out like at least 30 minutes of content. So yeah. now it's like, I can't remember what I cut out. So like we could talk about that again for the second time. That's true. <laughs> or what we could just do instead of talking about it, just copy and paste that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's no point yeah, in that'd hashing be handy. it. That'd yeah, that'd be handy. That's no, all yeah. good. Um, so I guess we're going to do a little bit of a catch-up. Uh, well, remains to be seen what we're going to talk about there. Um, we're going to finish off a main topic from our last main topic was on the Galadriel mm-hmm. uh, shooting and, and magic uh, issue. So this one is going to be what? It's going to be counters That's right. that problem. That's right. Shooting and magic. How I hate thee. Yeah. And then uh, we'll see where we go after that in terms of how much time we have left. But we could always Mm do our, we could get back into the regular stuff. The all that is rolled does not glitter. And what have I got in my pocket? I mean, it's like so many emails from our listeners to go through that we're neglecting. Um, Maybe we should read something. I know. I like that. We have a lot of email. Well, I wouldn't say a lot, but like for us, it's a lot of email. It's a lot. It's like almost 10, maybe somewhere in the, we're almost to double digits. It's huge. Huge. We have like a cache to pull from now. Yeah. I'm like having to bug people the last second. Hey, give us a question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So what, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Well, I don't know if you heard big news for Dawn. I turned 60. So that's a thing. The big six zero. Yeah, I guess I'm deal. a senior now. That's well, no, sixty five is senior, isn't it? I don't know, is it? I, I have no idea. Well, sixty five is when you start cashing in on your CPP. Well, I can start getting it now, apparently. Oh, nice! Yeah. You might as well start banking that. Yeah, have that, to, that, I'll have to go and get some financial advice. Oh well, then don't get it from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so that was the thing. Um, also, I don't know if you heard, but I won the league. I heard, I heard. That was an unexpected turn of events. By um, the skin of your teeth, I heard also. Oh, it was saw. like well under control. Come on. Well, <laughs> like, like, no, yeah. It was, it was like <laughs> literally by the skin of my teeth and, and by the kind graces of Steve Stokes, who if he had got even like one additional victory point in a game, he probably would have won. Yeah, that's um, right. He botched. So yeah. thanks, Steve. Appreciate yeah, good it, job, buddy. Steve. Yeah. You are also the only. So a couple of things here. A couple of accolades. Let me, because I I am a, a multi recipient of the league trophy, and so I wish to say a couple of things. Congratulations on joining the um, the, the the few and the mighty who have yes, won the a, league. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, very but much. but also congratulations on being the only member of this fine uh, group that actually hasn't won a tournament and you still won the league. I know, right? 
Flexing. <laughs> right now, flexing. Flexing. <laughs> so to all those who are listening and are thinking, hmm, should I go to the OSBGL tournaments? I'm worried. You don't have to win tournaments to actually win yeah. the league. It's doable. You can, you can be a pushover like me and still win the league. As long as it's a COVID-ridden season divided up over three years and has the fewest number of tournaments ever for a league season at nine. Um, but... Yeah. But... Who, what did you also do? Which I think you are the only one who's been able to do this. Um, you also well, won I also, what other award? Yeah, I also won the uh, the sportsmanship award, which was just simply awesome. Yeah, like you know. winning both the league, so having the most generalship yeah. points and best sport at the same time. I mean, yeah, that you can't was, go wrong uh, with that. That was quite something. Yeah, I That's have right. both of those trophies displayed proudly now on my mm-hmm. on my shelf. So, uh, so yeah, that was awesome. And uh, I think we mentioned uh, Chris and I talked a bit about it, and he also um, won the best craftsmanship award. So yeah, that was great. I saw that. It yeah, that's fantastic. Um, nice little haul <clears throat> from the uh, from the, the north of the Shire group. Yeah. So we also just recently had. A big tournament, which I think is probably the biggest tournament in Canada this year, which Council we had, of the Wise. Uh, Council of the Wise, yeah. So That's that was right. our big August event run by Derek, and we had 46 signups, and I wow. think we ended up with 38 on the day for the singles. That was uh, big. Singles on the Saturday, 38 players, and I think there was 40 on Sunday for the doubles, so 20 teams. Wow. Which was crazy. It was really fun. Oh, it was such a well-run event. So good to see everybody. So how did you do, by the way, in the singles? Doubles, uh, I, like, surprisingly enough, I'll say this to all my list, to all the listeners. Um, I'm hyper competitive in singles. In doubles, you want to play me because I really don't care. Like, I yeah. do not yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. I build the silliest lists and just have <laughs> loads of fun because like to me doubles is not something i'm ever competitive at i just don't know why I, well, it's, it was a point, difference go ahead case in point um i scored dead last in doubles at nova when we went last time out of like i think 30 teams Are i was we were dead last yeah adam marcel and i were dead last oh my gosh <laughs> oh well yeah, well, the difference was is the singles tournament was a 100-point event for us, so mm-hmm. a more competitive event. The doubles is normally always an 80-point event because it's, like you say, it's kind of a more fun kickback kind of thing. Yeah. So this time around, I definitely... The tournament in both the singles and doubles was offering uh, both Best Painted and, uh, Award and also one for Best Display Board. So in both cases, that governed what I took to to the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up, it was 800 singles, and our last singles was 700. Mm-hmm. So I took almost exactly the same army, my Khazadum army, um, led by Balin, and I just added Gimli to it for 100 oh. points to bring it up to 800. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to bring my dwarf display board that I had made about six months ago because it was the first tournament that was really scoring display board mm-hmm. uh, and an opportunity for me to bring that. So that really governed what I brought. I did bring that. I did terrible in my games. I won one, lost three. Um <sighs> The you last, did so well with that army in the last one. Well, it was honestly um, like my the fourth game was um, Heirloom of Ages Past, and it was one of those ones where 
you know, my opponent, a uh, really good guy, Carter, he just walked onto the board, wiped out one of my isolated warbands, found the prize, like, immediately. Oh, nice. And my entire army was across the table, uh, dwarves, and he had elves with Kirdan. So oh. he just he just bubbled up on it, and I marched across the table, and the game ended, and he won. Nice. Um, so you know he he did what he needed to do, but it was kind of a it was kind of a two thumbs down game for me. It's oh. just that's just the way heirlooms is, right? So um, yeah, and uh, anyway, I didn't do well in in the the gaming side of things, which is fine. Um, but I did manage to tie for first place for best display board. So I was nice. very happy with that. Um, I tied with, um, we had a, like a fairly big contingent of players, uh, from Quebec drive down mm. long drive, like, I don't know, six mm. or seven hour drive for them. All really good guys. Well, and one, that. what's that? It's more than that. If you're coming from Quebec all the way to, to Kitchener, it's like, well, for some of them, some of them had to drive for like a couple of hours to meet up with the others. Mm. So anyway, long drive for them. And there was another guy there, uh, Alexander who had a, another dwarf display board. It was kind of like the, the gates of Moria with, um, you know, with the, uh, what do you call that thing? The watcher in the water. Yeah. Mm. The watcher in the water and the gate. Um, really cool display board. So, so we actually got the same number of votes and we tied for first place for, for display board. So wow, that was awesome. Nice. Two, two dwarf display boards, both coming in first. So that As was, that be. was, that was great. Um, the doubles, what, what we did was I, Garrett was my doubles partner and we decided to go with what was going to be a filthy list. Um, at least would be voted as such it it did win the uh they have an award there called the rotten cheese so everybody votes for like the filthiest list on the day mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we just crushed everybody with the filthiest list by far i think and it for was votes the, not actual games for, for votes yeah for <laughs> votes I, I don't i don't honestly think it's a well-earned um title because mm -hmm. it, I, don't, I don't consider it to be all that filthy it's the black riders mm -hmm. um at 800 points so it was allowed even though you have to have one leader like the witch king is your leader but you can mm -hmm. share the legendary legion at 400 points each that was allowed by the to mm -hmm. um and uh yeah so we had the nine basically uh and garrett painted all the models which he did a great job and nice. i built the display board um which was working on it like right down to the last minute kind of thing and I got it to the point where we could bring it and it looked good, but not finished. Like it, mm -hmm. like all the, the details and whatnot weren't, weren't quite there, but um, mm -hmm. still managed to do well. Uh, it was kind of a weird situation for the prizing for that in, in that Paul, who played uh, the Bjornlings, mm -hmm. the Bjornings or whatever, army. So he won best painted and also a would have won best display board but they they have a rule at that tournament where you can only win one of the big prizes which right? makes sense yeah so i were or garrett and i won for best display board even though we were runner-up if you follow mm. me right i do but let's 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 be clear you won for best display board because sure. it's the display board not the army if it was the army it'd be garrett who won 
Well, it's one as a team. So, you know, if we had a one painting, it would have been one as a team as well, even though I didn't put a lick of paints. Anyway, it's just the way that it works. So in the games, um, we only won one out of our three games and lost two. Um, We won the first game against Angmar. You know, it was... It was a Hail Mary. It was the one we didn't play the doubles missions, actually, which was really oh. odd and kind of supply, surprised everybody. Um, what's the general one where the general has to do all the contest killing? Of cha- contest yeah. of champions? So that was the mission. Mm-hmm. And they had the Witch King on Fell Beast and Gulivar. And they kind of they kind of had one chance. And they threw Gulivar in and bombarded um, some target with their, their spells and anyway, what ended up happening is we killed Gulivar in turn one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crazy unexpected part of it was random orc archer fires, mm-hmm. hits in the way for a combat, makes it through in the way into a combat, hits my ring wraith in the way, horse or rider, hits the rider, rolls to wound, six. I think he needed sixes by fours, rolls to wound again, four, wounds. I roll the save, one, dead, Mm. just like on turn one. And that happened before combat, right? So shooting Mm. starts off, boom, we lose a ring raid to just like a (laughs) random orc arrow. Um, But then by the end of that turn, it was like, okay, we killed Gulivar. That makes up for it. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, odds of that are so astronomically low. Oh, I know. That's like, that's yeah. you go, you go and buy a lottery ticket with those odds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the second, the second game we played, um, what has to be considered a pretty hard counter for our list. It was fog of war and we played, uh, Justin and mm-hmm. Sam, mm-hmm. um, and they had Rohan as half their list they, with, um, was it Theoden or Theodred or both? I forget. And a whole bunch of mounted royal guard, like 10 plus royal guard. So bodyguarded, not good for us. And then the other half was Lothlorien, all magic resistant. So it was a really difficult army for us to play against. But it was mm-hmm. it was a fantastic, fun game. Um, you know, we just all had a great time. And in the end, they they won that one. Um, but yeah, we really enjoyed ourselves in that game. And then in the last game, we played another army that was basically spammed hard with, um, bodyguard troops. It was like, I think there were 19 Citadel guard, um, in the, and, uh, and the other half was foot Rohan with the guy that makes them strength four. Oh, um, uh, Helmingas. Yeah. <clears throat> we, and the mission was domination. Right, so mm. terrible mission for us, terrible army for us, completely one-sided game. Um, just kind of went through the motions on that game, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we we never we never were in the game, never really had a chance in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was by far out of the three, like we could literally not cast a spell. So it really shows showed one side of that army is like you're so heavily dependent on your spells being successful. Like you, Mm -hmm. 
you have to roll the average rolls to get, you know, you're not, you're going to fail some spells. You're going to get some spells. If you're rolling below the curve on your spells, it makes the army like exceedingly challenging to play. Cause no. like, I swear to God, without exaggerating, I think we successfully cast maybe half a dozen spells in the entire Oof, game. It was rough. just horrendous. Like the previous game, we had decided that we were going to kill Rumil, right? Mm -hmm. And just because he was like out front and he was charging forward, you know, like let's just deviate for a second, kill Rumil, and then move on. We threw so many resources into killing Rumil. It was insane. Mm. And he rolled like you know just to get off the black dart you got to expend a fair number of resources to actually successfully cast it and cause mm -hmm. a wound right and then three times in a row when he was rolling to resist six six five to resist oh. and it's just like oh my god you got to be kidding me mm -hmm. and he he survived the game he survived oh. the game so yeah but you know that that's fine because it's like okay well, like we're we're doing stuff he's just he's just resisting right but in the other game it's just like yeah we just could not cast like a spell if our life depended on it but <laughs> but it was an interesting list to play really outside the box for me so i, I did enjoy it uh, from from that perspective um but it's you know it's a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not, not at all my type of army. It was a good experience for me to try it out. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't play that army again, I don't think. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was that was that experience. Loved the tournament. Really, really fun time. Well, that sounds like it was a fantastic time, both days. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was an overnighter, of course, so stayed mm -hmm. in the hotel and, and all nice, that. Nice. And we had a big dinner out with everybody. So that was that was a blast. Wow. Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic, man. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Uh, we did miss the, the big, I don't know if it's worth talking about, maybe we just skim over it. We missed the big yeah. MESBG uh, releases. Oh, uh, yeah. It's been talked to death, and, you know, I don't know if there's if there's a whole bunch of fallout from that or not. Um, but, you know, they had all those big releases, the box set, uh, Battle Boxes, Glorfindel, Elrond, Guard of the Fountain, or Gladrum Court. What else? Did I miss something? Uh, no, I think you hit the... Oh, and the, it's the box set. It was pretty much everything else. I think that was Yeah. One. Like, I, I think, for me, the big thing there is the box set, uh, which I think is fantastic. I think it was a really smart release. Um by, by Games Workshop. I, I mean, you know, the, the elephant in the room here is, is, the, is the whole discussion, which is an aside about the lack of, of new product in, in all these releases. But, but just putting that aside for now, um, I, I think this is the right time for them to release a new edition of the game. I think it's the right time for them to come out with battle boxes or whatever they're called. Um, oh, yeah, just just to align, align the game in in a good place in in preparation for the release of the the new tv show the rings of power you're being positive like i got nothing uh, I, I am trying to be positive about it because you know um as has been said by by other podcasts um this release is not for us you know no. certainly the box set i guess is the rule book is because we're longtime players with big mm -hmm. collections 
um, you know, so you got to stay current in the game, right? So mm -hmm. you need the rule book, et cetera, right? So yeah, I'm really happy to see a new rule book and I'm really happy they didn't revise the rules. I mm -hmm. think both of those were really good decisions. Um, rolling the FAQ into the rule book, fantastic, because I cannot stand having a separate FAQ. I think the mm -hmm. FAQ is great, but I never look at it, you know, to be honest. It's just, if someone brings that up, it's like, yeah, whatever, that's, that's fine. Um, but I was frustrated by, by the lack of new product in the releases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the spectrum is all over there in terms of what people have to say about it. Um, you know, the Green Dragon was pretty outspoken about, um, I guess, their disappointment, to be fair, mm -hmm. um, in, in the releases. And I thought everything they said was exactly right on the money. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, I, I agreed with everything they said. Um, I just think that maybe they should have said right at the beginning, um, they realized this release was not for them. Mm -hmm. um, they kind of said that at the end. Um, it would have put a bit of a different slant on what they were saying, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but I think everything they said in their in their review was was absolutely one hundred percent correct. Yeah, I, I think you know, as I was formulating in my head my response, I will tone it back and tone it down substantially. Uh, I think that the, you hit the nail on the head. It uh, mm -hmm. it's not meant for experienced gamers. It's meant for with lots of big collections. It's meant for the new players, right? To get them mm -hmm. into the game. Yeah. Um, you know, that being said, um, if you look at those battle boxes, half of them are illegal. You can't even feel them because mm -hmm. there's not enough heroes to, to models, uh, to warrior models. Uh, like the Isengard one, I think, is 24 models, but there's only Sar uh, Sar Saruman. Mm -hmm. So you have, you have to buy the command box. Cool, that kind of defeats the purpose of having an all-in-one box. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then the, the guard of the Galadrim court, They're didn't really get stagnant. They're stagnant. Yeah, I didn't really get that. Uh, like I, the way I look at that release is that it was an effort to move product from GW to Forge World. Yeah, to me, I saw that as you took Orifin's body, um, and then you just put arms and a head on it. Yeah, you know what I mean from a sculpting perspective. I just feel like you you don't have enough sculptors to do what you need to do. There's clearly this tremendous talent there. But I mean, when you, your MESBG team is actually 50% MESBG, 50% Blood Bowl, it's kind of hard to release a lot of content, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, 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 the Guard of the Gladium Court, I almost want to say I'd rather just play the old ones if I were to play that army. Mm -hmm. But you can't buy them anymore. So, anyways, no. um, the, the, I will say this about the MESBG team: their character series, phenomenal. The yeah, Elrond oh, yeah. and the, the Glorfindel, just phenomenal models. Um, definitely two I would love to pick up. Um, and the fact that Elrond has both, he's wearing a second age armor, and he has in part of his clan pack. Um, the uh, what was his name? Gilgalad's Herald. I mean, come on, this is screaming second age supplement. This is screaming second age supplement mm. coming our way, you know. Um, so I'm really excited to hope, and, and you know, fingers crossed, it's coming. Uh, for the box, I think the big challenge for me with that big box set. Um, so let's talk to positives. One perfect way of summing up, um, you know, uh, the new box for the new gamers. 
right? We've got a, a revised rulebook, great. Don't have to look, flip through like literally like 30 pages of FAQ. It's yep. now all in the, uh, it's now in the rulebook. I think that's a big win, holds a lot of value. Yep, you've got brand new models. You've got Faramir, Damrod, Madrill, awesome. Mm -hmm. You've got Love them, brand all, all awesome models. Yeah, really, awesome. I'd really be happy to pick them up, absolutely. Uh, 100%. Uh, brand new Gothmog, fantastic model. Um, his warg is on steroids, which, you know, fine. It, it, it depicts the, the fact that the leader should have a badass. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've definitely heard some some critical viewpoints of, of the, mm. the warg there, but overall, I think it's great. It's a new plastic model, um, and it's really nice. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah. My problem is... Let's st let's stay positive. New terrain in there. Oh as yes, well. right. Big there, terrain wait, wait, kit in there. That's right. This new terrain. I, as someone who built an Osgiliath ruins table, that's fantastic. More stuff to add to it, right? Absolutely. My sticking point with that box is not any of the things I mentioned. Is that it is jarring to look at because you have these beautiful sculpts side by side with twenty-five year old with 20-year-old warrior models. Mm. It just is such a problem to me. Like your warrior models, well, they're beautifully sculpted for their day and they're still holding up for the most part. When you put them against those characters, it is like night and day yeah. difference. And yep. it's like, come on, you, you GW, you gotta see this. You really have to put in new warrior sculpts. And that's my own. That's really my only gripe to this whole thing. Yeah. Please put on new warrior sculpts. Uh, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a little bit more positive than you. I do feel very similar to you, um, which is just overall disappointed that we're getting the old warrior models. Um, <clears throat> however, I do like the Moran and Orc models. I think they are good models. Um, I also like the Gondor Ranger models, even though they're old in both cases, right? Where I get really disappointed is in the Minas Tirith infantry because <sighs> I'm sorry, those models are terrible now. Like, yeah, they really are. They they I, just are. Like, I, I, come on. And I I think that you make a great point there, and that you know if I'm doing the the. Um, but there's a Rangers of Athelion uh, army somewhere in my house that's getting uh, wishless. My mind is thinking that it's finished, but it's really yeah. not. Um, and they actually, once painted up really well, actually look really nice. And they've got a yeah. lot of detail, layered detail. It's quite beautiful. But like, man, those Warriors of Minas Tirith, they are going to say it, gonna be, I'm going to be blunt, they're garbage can. They yep. look literally like garbage cans. I'm not joking. Um, <laughs> garbage cans. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I think that I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like if you put the Moranans beside the new Gothmog, that still works. You know? Yeah. It still works. Yeah. If you put the new Rangers beside the new uh, heroes beside the Ranger models, it still works. Mm -hmm. But when you incorporate those Warriors of Minas Tirith, man, it doesn't work anymore for me. Yeah, like I, I like to I like to convert models. I like to convert orc models, and you know I'm doing an Angmar battle company, and any battle company that has orcs in it, well, eventually they're going to have heavy armor, and so the ideal subjects for those conversions are the Moran and orcs, mm -hmm. and I currently don't have any, so picking up a couple sprues of them or however much come in the box set, you know, I'm all for that. I don't mind having those models 
you know, hanging around here for when I need to do a conversion. That, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Um, but yeah, totally agree with your other comments there. At the end of the day, I, I'm hoping GW, like the biggest thing for me is I hope GW has a faster release schedule than the last supplement. That's all I'm asking for. You know, like you, you please don't do it every two and a half years. And I'm going to, going to say something that probably not a tremendous amount of uh, GW fanboys want to hear. Stop saying, but GW Games Workshop saved the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. Bro, that only worked in the first couple of years. We are yeah. many years past that. Games Workshop has to step up their game. Like, I'm fine with, if this level of like release, sorry, the quality, the quantity of the release is what you're doing, fine, just do it more frequently. Like once a mm -hmm. year, you know, once a year is fine. A supplement every year, I'm good with that. That's fine for me. But like every three years, two years, it's like if you're going to do that, really put the effort into like making every component of your release quality. Because like when I looked at Defense of the North, half of those legendary legions were just like mm. poop. They're poop. I'm sorry. You missed out on some opportunities there. Um, some of them were bland. You missed out on opportunities of like combining Lothlorien and um, Thranduil's Halls, which is very much in the lore. Um, and they just they seem to just miss that. And I'm thinking like that could have been a really beautiful legendary legion. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I just want to see continue seeing the quality um, just in general. I know Middle Earth team can produce amazing stuff. They mm -hmm. do it very consistently. I just want to keep seeing it. That's all. Yeah, and like literally everything they produce is, is pretty amazing. It's mm -hmm. just that there's not enough of it, honestly. And, yeah. you know, I, I go on and on about the warrior thing. And, you know, um, I, I hear people say, like, well, what did you expect? Like, did you expect them to put out new warriors? That's beside the point. It's beside the point. No, I did not expect them to. But they should. Mm -hmm. They should be putting it out now. Um, and the reality is making me think that they've just given up on that market at this I point. I feel like it, which yeah, is the biggest mistake just, you could do. I mean, maybe they haven't and they're just, you know, maybe it's like a cost thing or a business thing or whatever. And if it is, then like, well, I'm sorry, but that's not a good enough reason. It's like if, if, you're, if your logic is that you're just stepping aside because the 3D market is growing so fast, you don't think you can compete in it, well, then that's fine. You just yeah, put out the character models. But then the thing is, like, you make more money off the warrior models than some... Like, unless, for example, let's take the Hobbits, right? The Hobbits, let's say... Because Hobbits are actually the most expensive army in the game, okay? If you wanted to buy a pure... GW army. I was looking at this for, for, for fun. A 1,000 point hobbit army, pure hobbits, is going to be running you about $900. Wow. That's how insane it is. And honestly, it's 50-50 on characters versus warriors in terms of cost. Because mm -hmm. right? there's just so many characters that you have to buy for the hobbits. Yeah. Um, but even then, you know, I would actually say it's probably 70-30 warriors to characters. Your warriors are always going to be the most amount of, of money that you're going to make for an army. Yeah. It's always going to be that case. Um, you know, and when people say, well, they just don't have the time. Here's the thing. When you develop a character, let's say Glorfindel, right? 
you're going to be adding a whole bunch of different things like filigree this, filigree that, right? But you're doing it in 3D, like a 3D blender software. You literally can stop and be like, okay, this is the basic shape of the elf with the armor and all that. Save. Mm -hmm. That's the premise for our basic uh, elven warriors. Cool. Now let's continue doing uh, Glorfindel. Done. And it's like, look, I just sculpted the basics for the elf already. I didn't have to do anything else. It's done. I can now fine tune it Mm -hmm. and we're good to go. Right. And then at that point, you're just tweaking pieces here and there. And then really all you're doing is like, let's just, the chest isn't going to change. Okay. Let's make six, you know, four different arms. And then it's just different poses. And then cool. This is like, now I've just created effectively 12 (laughs) models from this. Like you literally just take the the work in progress for the character pre-ornamental components and you have the basic warrior done for you. So I don't see the rationale behind they just don't have the time. You're kind of developing it as you go. So Well, I think the, the don't have the time slash don't have the resources is a thing, but it it's is, a yes. choice. It's a choice that they're making because they do have the time and resources. They're just choosing not to put it or not to direct it at MESBG. Like if you look at, I don't know if you saw the the new release that just came out, the Nova release, mm-hmm. um, which is just a horrendously huge amount of stuff, right? Like like for 40K, the... Um, the squats, what do they call them? Viking the, dwarves, the Voltan. The Voltrans or Voltan or whatever. Like it's an entirely new army with everything, you mm-hmm. know? And it's a whole new army, like troops, characters, vehicles, you mm-hmm. know, bikes. Like I think there's an elite troop in there. Like just a huge amount of stuff. It's just for one army, mm-hmm. right? So they do have the resources. They do have the time. It's just they're choosing not to direct it at MESBG. So that's the reality. So here's my thought. Like, I see MESBG as the guinea pig, right? And I think they've done this very successfully with their other games, right? This concept of command points, it's literally just might, right? So they took principles from MESPG and they've rolled it into their other games because they get a lot of positive feedback about them. Why not continue using MESPG as a guinea pig for testing other business strategies? Like what do you have to lose, right? Oh Mm -hmm. no, one of our lowest grossing segments doesn't make more money. Okay, whatever. And what I'm referring to here is I really, I keep really pushing this. I keep pushing this. And that's why don't you just roll out, um, you reach out to this, like roll out the option to make your warriors, right? To third party sculptors, right? Cut them in on a small percentage of royalties and then give them a flat fee. Um, But why not outsource it and see, will this make us more money in the long run, you know, than just sitting on it and doing nothing? Because you're getting 100% of nothing versus like, potentially 70% of something. Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if you in one year rolled out a huge smattering of new models to go along with the new release of the, release of the new edition of MESBG, yeah. like I tell you right now, you would get mass draw from people. You know what I mean? And again, that concept of like, I built a character, right? I built Glorfindel. I'm going to take the base 
without the ornamental filigree, I'm going to give it to a third-party sculptor and say, look, I've done the work for you. Here's your basis point. So Build around I'll, it. I'll be the devil's advocate here, okay? Mm-hmm. I'll be the devil's advocate. I don't necessarily believe in this, but I've heard this argument, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is, why would we do that? We just won't do that, and those customers can go and buy product for one of our other games, and we'll get 100% of the profits. You see, here's the kicker. Your customers won't do that because MESBG players are MESBG players. Understand yep. your player base. MESBG players aren't also 40K in AOS. People yeah. switch to MESBG for a reason. Like AOS and 40K are like big and loud and like explosive games where like you could go a turn where like 30% of your army just goes boom, dead. Yeah. MESBG, that's not a thing. And people enjoy it. Like certain people who get into MESBG get into it because of the lore, because of Tokian. So when they're here, they're here. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just have to give them the opportunity to buy. Like for me, if someone if if someone said, "Hey, look, brand new Warriors of Minas Tirith," do you know what I would do? I'd rebuy all my Warriors of Minas Tirith if they came out with brand new ones, because I'm like, yes, I will happily own new ones. Because if that's what you're throwing down, that's what I'm taking. Oh, I totally agree with you. I'm just trying to offer another point of view, I guess. I, I hear you. Like the only argument I can see you making, like legitimately is if you're offering royalties to third-party sculptors, what about your in-house sculptors? What are you doing for them, right? Mm -hmm. Because then it's like I'm paying you a salary to do this, whereas I'm paying a third-party sculptor percentage royalties, but this could net them way more money than what you make. So then, you know what I mean? So so anyways, there's logistics around that, but my point is, why not just try it? Because if it's unsuccessful, guess what? You have a bunch of brand new models that people are buying, it's not a killer on your bottom line, but if it's wildly successful, maybe consider doing it for all of your specialty games as well. Yeah. Right? I don't know. I, I, I would like to see them, you know, dip their toe in the water on that and give it a try. Yeah. You know? All right. Well, shall we move on and uh, talk well, about uh, something there, else? There's one more thing we got to talk about. Okay. Lay it tonight. On. Tonight is the Rings of Power. Tonight is the Rings of Power. Wow. That's right. It starts in 42 minutes by the recording of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to to watching it. That's that's for and, sure. It's been a long time coming. And here's the hilarious part. You will hear us talking about how amazing the Rings of Power is by the time we finish recording this episode. <laughs> yeah, really, really. Yeah. How amazing or not amazing, who knows. We'll see. All right, we're on to the main topic, or not, and it's not we, it's me. Andrew is is not with me for the remainder of this episode, unfortunately. Yeah, um, you just heard us say that we recorded the first part of this episode on the day the Rings of Power debuted, so I think that was five weeks ago. And since then, Andrew and I have not been able to align our schedules to record the second half of this episode. So I've just decided to crack on by myself. 
his work schedule has gone from insanely busy to off the charts busy plus having a new little one and he and his family had a bout of covid as well you can kind of hear how my voice is a little nasally at least in the first section as i was also getting over a long bout i had with covid uh, when we recorded that five weeks ago so after a couple more cancellations last week I figured I would just finish this episode off myself and Andrew and I can start a new one when we can get together. So we're going to check in with Shadow of the North, my Angmar battle company. In this segment, I'm going to talk about their second game. In game one, we faced off against a Dunedain battle company commanded by young Charles and we managed to get a win. This time, we would be going up against Chris, Charles's dad, and his Shire Warband. Shadow of the North, a narrative journey about the adventures of a battle company. first day of gaming, I got two games in with my warband. This will be the second one. Once again, Chris was using the Tabletop Simulator Community Edition of Battle Companies. In this edition, the Shire Battle Company starts with one Dunedain in addition to the Hobbits. The mission was going to be hold the line as we were still playing um, the mission where it was a dwarven cavern, let's say, um, that Chris had brought the train for. And so we had sort of the Moria terrain and a whole bunch of other dungeon terrain. So there was a door on either end of the large chamber. It was going to be a tough game as he outnumbered me 15 models to my 8. So let's get into a little narrative replay of this game. After having defeated the band of wild humans, Zogmoth led his small warband into the abandoned dwarf hold. As they descended into the depths, it grew dark, and they lit torches to light their way. Strange shadows jumped out around the orcs, and their footfalls echoed down the carved stone halls. The air became cool and damp, and they had to wipe away cobwebs from their faces. Feels just like home, said Zogmoth. 
Eventually, they came to the entrance to a large chamber. Dust covered the floor, and broken crates and barrels were scattered about the room. A large stone platform dominated the center of the chamber, and they could faintly see a second door on the far wall. The orcs could hear the sound of running feet and shouts of many voices from beyond that door, and they were getting closer. The sounds grew louder, and Zogmoth shouted, Form a line here! Whatever comes through that door, I expect every orc to stand his ground. Suddenly the door burst open, and in charged a gang of over a dozen hairy-footed hobbits, led by one grim-faced human ranger. The human wore leather armor, a green cloak, and carried a bow. No doubt one of those pesky Dunedine. The halflings looked like a rabble of well-dressed farmers, armed with all manner of garden implements, sticks, and bows. As the hobbits moved into the room, one of them let fly with an arrow from his shortbow. His aim was true, and he hit Nails, the warg, knocking him out of the battle with a well-aimed shot. That dropped Shadow of the North to seven, half the number of the hobbits. The orcs moved up and formed a ragged line, but before they were even in position, another hobbit arrow found its mark, this time dropping an orc warrior. The mob of hobbits moved forward with confidence to challenge the Angmar warband. With the hobbits having come so close, Zogmoth saw his opportunity. Charge the little devils, he yelled. All the orcs rushed forward into combat with their little hairy-footed opponents. Zogmoth stunned one curly-haired hobbit with a shield bash, and then laid him out with a blow from his sword. The orc leader was about to roar in triumph, as this was his first kill since taking command, but decided against it, considering the diminutive size of his opponent. Meanwhile, Fang, the warg hero, pounced on another hobbit, clamping his jaws on his shoulder. The warg hero flung the hobbit aside like a rag doll, and just like that, yet another opponent was out of the fight. Gash, the sorcerer, watched on with a mix of admiration and jealousy, as the other two Angmar heroes both eliminated an enemy. He would not be outdone by those two. He saw the enemy Dunedain ranger drawing his sword, getting ready to countercharge the orcs. Gash focused on his target and channeled all his will on calling forth the magic he knew was within him. Suddenly a wave of energy swept through his body and up into his mind. His brain felt like a fatty piece of meat jumping on a hot pan as the magic churned inside his head. The magical energy flew from him and impacted with the Dunedain, stopping him in his tracks. The ranger struggled to move, but it was no good. He was transfixed by the magical attack. Although the Angmar heroes had made their presence known, the remaining three orc warriors didn't fare quite so well. 
One was taken out by a well-thrown rock, and the remaining two orcs were surrounded by hobbits swinging sticks and axes and brought down quickly under a flurry of blows. That left Zogmoth, Gash, and Fang, the three Angmar heroes, fighting against about a dozen angry hobbits and a Dunedine. They tried to conduct a fighting withdrawal, but it was a futile effort. There were just too many hobbits, and they were surrounded before they could even get halfway to the door. The first to run was Fang. He took a nasty hit on the snout from a hobbit wielding a staff. He let out a yelp and sprinted for the door. Next was Gash the sorcerer, who was hard-pressed fighting off three hobbits. He glanced over to see Zogmoth fighting for his life against a swarm of the little folk. Two clung to his legs while three others attacked him with staves. Their blows rung repeatedly off his heavy armor and oversized shield. The Dunedine stalked nearby, waiting for an opportunity to lunge in with his sword. It was just a matter of time before they brought him down. Using his shield, Gash pushed back one of his opponents and then took the opportunity to run. He glanced back at Zogmoth over his shoulder as he bolted to safety, picking up the limp body of his little orc pet Bodo on his way. He whispered to himself, Have fun, Zogmoth. I hope those little maggots knock your head right off his shoulders with those bats. Zogmoth watched as his fellows ran, and a feeling of pride swept over him. He had proven that he was indeed the leader, the last orc standing alone against the enemy. A crooked smile crept across his face, even as the hobbit swarm beat him into unconsciousness. All right, so that didn't go particularly well at all. At least I did remember to cast Transfix with Gash, my sorcerer. I successfully cast it twice on the Dunedine, although he resisted the second one. I did manage to forget to use the Wise Advice special rule on the sorcerer all game, but I'm not sure that it even mattered, to be honest. So when the dust settled, my leader and all my warriors, except the one who missed the game, were knocked out. The only two that weren't knocked out were my two sergeants who both ran away. My orc, armed with a two-handed axe, rolled an injury and will miss next game. He doesn't have a name yet, as he just hasn't done anything noteworthy. Luckily, all the others got a full recovery. One of my spearmen missed the game, so he will be back for the next one. He is also nameless, having not shown any worth as of yet. I did get two influence for this loss. Not exactly what I was hoping for, but better than a kick in the pants with a frozen boot, as my dad used to say. 
I spent one influence on a spear for the sorcerer Gash and the other influence on a shield for one of my other spearmen. So now all my spearmen have a second piece of war gear. Two of them have shields and one has an orc bow. My war hero Fang had managed to get another kill in this game, which put him up to five experience, just enough to roll for a promotion. He rolled on the beast path and got a five. This gave him plus one fight, putting him up to fight four, which was the highest in my whole company. So my rating at the end of this game is gonna be 115 plus five, for that plus one fight and plus two for my two pieces of war gear is 122 minus six for one guy missing the next game. So I'm at 116. All right, let's get into some hobby side of things. What have I been doing with this war band lately? Um, well, to be quite honest, it's been quite a while since I've done this, but um, I did this work uh, probably well over a month ago. Last episode, I talked about converting my sorcerer. This time, I'll talk about the conversion I did for my leader, Zogmoth. I'd been looking for an orc and heavy armor to use for my leader, who was going to be following the path of the general. Normally, I'd use plastic Moranin orcs for this. But unfortunately, I didn't have any left. Amazingly, I'd painted them all. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about a veritable troll horde of MESBG models that had gone up for sale in a local store. I had made a trip back to that store to pick up some models there for a friend in the United States. As it turned out, one of the models that they had there aplenty was the Gothmog on foot model that came in the Battles in Middle Earth magazine. They must have had 20 of them there, no exaggeration. So even though it was a metal model, which would mean a more difficult conversion, I went for it, as I was able to pick one of these guys up for cheap. This model has a sword in his right arm, which is held out away from the body. His left arm isn't holding anything and is also away from the body, but bent at the elbow with his hand attached to the body at the waist. Kind of an awkward pose, really. I knew I wanted him holding a shield, so I'd have to reposition that arm. I was able to disconnect the hand from the connection at the hip with my clippers without causing too much damage. I then filed away a bit of material at the inside joint of that elbow. So I was able to further bend the arm into the position I needed for him to be holding a shield. I did the bending with some needle nose pliers and went very slowly to avoid breaking off the arm. Once I had the arm in position, I filed down the rough armor plates on the front of the forearm 
so the shield would have a better surface to adhere to. I also cleaned up the hand and waist as much as I could with my file. Next I was going to have to do a head swap as the Gothmog head was just way too recognizable. Once again I engaged my clippers and after a bit of a struggle off came his head. I pulled out a sprue from the Warlord Games Orc kit and picked a head from that to use on the model and filed down the connection point so it lined up perfectly with the body. I'd need to cover a bit of the connection point on the front of the model which looked a little rough and I noticed that Gothmog was wearing a fur cape on his back. So I got out the green stuff and just extended that fur cape around the front of the model where it would both cover the neck connection and further alter the model away from its Gothmog origins. I had thought to eventually arm this guy with a spear, so that would mean swapping out his sword, but he just looked like he was finished to me, so I left him as is and primed him up. I had recently done a trade by mail with someone here in Ontario, and as part of that I'd picked up a few Urukai Scout plastic models. I was going to need several orcs with shield and spear for this battle company, so I decided to convert one of these guys into an orc with spear and shield. I have a bunch of mortar orcs that I've added shields to, and they're okay in a pinch, but as they weren't originally modeled to carry shields, the shields just don't look quite right on those models. I picked an archer scout and went to work removing his head, arms, bow, and quiver. I added two arms to the body, one from the Vitrix Vikings kit, which was already holding a spear, and another arm that was positioned correctly for holding a shield. I used a shield that I'd pressed molded off one of the orcs from the Great Beast of Gorgoroth. True story, I once bought the Great Beast of Gorgoroth just so I could press mold all the shields from that kit and then sold the model. That was before 3D resin printing was mainstream. Desperate times. I finished this guy off by adding a sword in its sheath over the rough spot where I'd removed the quiver and added some green stuff hair and he was almost done. The green stuff hair didn't come out very well, but it was just good enough, and he's just an orc. Plus, I don't think orcs spend too much time on their hair. I had also assembled the blister of the two Moranin orc captains and Frodo and Sam in orc armor, which I'd received from the maid to order, I think. I added orc shields to Frodo and Sam as they're going to be small orcs and not the hobbits pretending to be orcs. Frodo got another press molded shield and Sam got a 3D printed orc shield from the Medbury Miniatures range. That gave me six orcs done, so I added my basing material and gave them a Zenithal Prime. My last bit of hobby for this episode was that I painted Gash the Sorcerer, Zogmoth, and Frodo and Sam. 
One of the reasons I like orcs so much is because I can paint them using mostly browns and greens and then hit them with agrax and they look great. Out came the contrast paints and it wasn't too long before these guys were ready for the table. I did use some regular paints as well, did a bit of highlighting and jazzed up the base with some flock and I'm very happy with the results. Alright, what are my future plans for this warband? Like, how do I plan to build the warband? What models am I hoping to acquire? Also, what potential creatures and wanderers would be good to have? Some of these aren't in the Games Workshop edition of Battle Companies and can only be found in the Tabletop Simulator Community Edition. Creatures available are the Pack Horse, 5 points, 3 influence. Uh, the Loyal Warg, 7 points, 3 influence. Let's take a closer look at the Wanderer section. I'll just read the description of what they are right out of the rules. As your company traverses the various environments of Middle-earth, they will often come across other such wanderers that have spent years traveling the wild lands. Often these wanderers will be able to provide advice, knowledge, or shelter to those weary from a long day's walk, and sometimes they will offer their services to your company in exchange for a share of the glories to be had. We present a selection of wanderers that can be added to your battle company for a particular cost. In each profile, there will be points costs of the wanderer as well as the amount of influence points it will cost to add them to your warband. A battle company may only ever have one wanderer at a time. Wanderers cannot buy any additional war gear or equipment from the armory. Okay, so that was pretty much verbatim from the Games Workshop edition. But this next section has been added in the Tabletop Simulator Community Edition. Okay. Uh, wanderers are heroes in all ways with the following exceptions. They cannot gain experience points, although they may still gain advancements by any other means. Wanderers do not provide a standfast. They may not affect members of the battle company with their heroic actions, i.e. calling with me. So these new restrictions really limit the Wanderers more than in the Games Workshop Edition. The Games Workshop Edition basically also didn't allow the gaining of experience, but they built that rule into all the individual profiles rather than having it as a generic rule. So why would you want to bring a Wanderer into your Warband in the first place? Well, they do allow you to get an additional unit in your Warband. You can only ever have one Wanderer, but I'm pretty sure they don't count towards your Warband's maximum number of models. So at the very least, you might as well grab the additional body once your battle company is at its full number of units. Also, Wanderers can allow you to gain something that your battle company doesn't offer, 
like maybe good shooting from the wandering elf or a solid frontline fighter in the wandering dwarf or possibly magic from the sage or the shaman. Maybe you just want to use a cool model that you have painted up and wouldn't otherwise fit into your warband. I think probably the most common reason would be to plug a hole in your warband caused by the death of either your leader or one of your two sergeants. I've seen a lot of players stop playing a warband because one of these heroes have been killed outright. It's really quite gut-wrenching when a hero you have painstakingly leveled gets killed. You can replace your leader or sergeant slot with a hero in the making, but it's still a massive downgrade. Enter the Wanderer. What a great time to pick up a solid wandering hero to temporarily fill that void. Sure, they aren't going to gain experience, but they can bolster your warband while your newly promoted hero in the making sergeant levels up to become reasonably decent. Now, there have been several changes and additions to this version of Battle Companies. I'm not going to get into all of them, but suffice it to say that I think for my Angmar warband, there are at least a couple of wanderers of interest. Essentially, I'm looking at two of the new additions to the Wanderers, the Wandering Assassin and the Wandering Orc. I definitely will be taking one of these later down the track. I think top of the list would be the Wandering Assassin. Let's take a quick look at his profile. Okay, the Wandering Assassin is a man, infantry, hero, and is worth 50 points. Wow, that's quite a bit. He's worth 9 influence, also quite costly. So he's got a move of 6, a fight of 5, and a shoot of 3+, both very solid. Strength 4, that's good. Defense 4, it's a little low. 2 attacks, 2 wounds, courage of 6. One might, one will, and one fate. So war gear, he's got throwing daggers, a dagger, and a blowpipe. Special rules, poison weapons all, preternatural agility, don't know if I pronounced that correctly, stock unseen, and only evil battle companies may take a wandering assassin. I think the most obvious miniature to plug into this spot would be the Hasharan. It's basically a perfect fit from MESPG. However, I think back to our narrative story we did called Oathbound, and there was a mysterious half-orc that showed up in the last segment of the story, which would be a perfect fit for this role. I think another conversion is in the offing. I also think the Wandering Orc would be a good add to my warband as well. So here's the Wandering Orc profile. It's an Orc, obviously, infantry, hero, 40 points. So 10 points less than the uh, Assassin. 8 influence points. Uh, move 6 inches, fight 5, shoot 4+, plus. strength 4, defense 5, Two attacks, two wounds, courage four, one might, one will, one fate, 
So the war gear is armor and sword, but there is an optional war gear item, which is a shield, which would be plus one influence point and plus five points. So that would bring him to nine influence points and 45 points. Um, he has a special rule, Cave Dweller. And once again, only evil battle companies may take a wandering orc. So he would be a very solid addition to my team. Still expensive at nine influence. He'd be a great replacement if one of my heroes were killed though. Or I could even see saving up influence for him and just adding him to my roster. I mentioned before how I thought the sorcerer path was a bit weak, and as a result, I think that limits the offensive power of my orc heroes. Sticking in the wandering orc would immediately compensate for that. I think both of these heroes would be great choices for my warband, and both would serve a pretty specific role for taking them as well. I'll have to really put some thought into acquiring one of these guys. And that's it for this update on Shadow of the North. Okay, it's time for all that is gold does not glitter. That's right, because we do have quite a few emails from uh, you listeners, and I thought I would read one of them here. And when I did this um, Shadow of the North originally, I had a little section in there asking people for their views on how their hobby sort of reflects on who you are, either personally or professionally. Uh, is your hobby an artistic release for you, or maybe you are using the hobby to try and find some spark of artistic talent within yourself, or maybe the hobby has nothing to do with artistic expression and is more of a cathartic tool or a way to prove your skill as a competitor. Well. Surprisingly, I had like five or six replies to that, which is just crazy because, you know, um, as someone that does a podcaster and I've been doing other things like this uh, before, and one of the things that sort of comes with the territory is silence. Very few people write in. Um, it's just an uncommon thing. A lot of people think about writing in, but don't. Um, so it, it tends that you don't get very much feedback other than some, some great comments on, on Facebook and, and whatever. And plus we're using uh, email here and like not a, a lot of people use a ton of email anymore. Uh, by the way, North of the Shire podcast one, the number one at gmail.com if anybody wants to write in. Um, one of the replies, funnily enough, is from Michael Haskell. Uh, and I say funnily enough because I just finished listening to the latest episode of Out of the Frying Pan, and they also talked about Michael Haskell. So Michael is pretty active uh, in the community uh, in the UK and in responding to podcasts. Uh, so I'm going to read his reply to, to my question. So here goes. First of all, really enjoyed the most recent episode. 
They're all great listens, but this one in particular. Perhaps because you were flying solo, it provided an opportunity to be more personal, especially the last few minutes of the podcast. On the back of that end piece, you ask listeners for their thoughts and experiences. I've always enjoyed making models and spent many happy hours when I was young making Aerofix kits. In my early teens, I also got into D&D and collected and painted several metal miniatures. Both faded during my late teens, 20s and early 30s, but then I started to do historical wargaming on and off. It wasn't until 2007 that I got into MESBG. And then it took another decade before I really started to immerse myself more fully. Time is, of course, the ever-present constraint, at least until I retire, which isn't too far away now. Well, it sounds like Michael and I are of a similar age. So I have to be mindful of what I choose to do hobby-wise. Yeah, I know how you feel there for sure, Michael. I love the collecting aspect and probably have way too many figures. Well, wow, we, we sound a lot alike here, Michael. I mean, the D&D and all that, uh, how you were getting into the hobby and, and the collecting and everything. So he goes on to say, I do have to like the aesthetic, however, and Jackson's interpretations on Lord of the Rings really chimed. For me, it isn't a case of getting one of everything. From a creative perspective, I'm not overly into conversions. For me, it's about painting to a reasonable standard, but constantly seeking to improve and try out different things, especially with the heroes and one-offs. I do get a kick out of being able to feel decently painted armies. Having said that, I like working on terrain projects, but it isn't something I do as much of currently as I'd like to. The advent of podcasts, YouTube videos, and audiobooks supports in so many ways. At the very least, it's content to listen to whilst assembling and painting. Okay, he goes on to say... I enjoy the gaming side and since the latter half of 2017, I've been going to several tournaments here in the UK and would like to do so a bit further afield in years to come. I've mellowed considerably from a competitive stance and I've found the MESBG community is largely in the same space. The rules writer's development of theme Legendary Legions being a good example, is also right up my street too. I think the hobby in general ticks so many boxes for me, and whilst I'll continue to dabble with historical wargaming, MESBG is a wonderful place to be right now. Well, that was a great letter, Michael. And yeah, I I have a lot of similarities in, in what you were talking about there myself. Um, I also do some historical wargaming. Um, MESBG has become by far my my main hobby, um, but I've always been into like Napoleonic stuff, um, World War II stuff. Um, you know, over here in North America, like War of eighteen twelve stuff. 
Um, all of that kind of thing has always been part of my gaming as well. But I really, I really always have loved Lord of the Rings and the Peter Jackson editions, like of the movies. They also really chimed for me, and you know, I just love the game. And you know, although there's like a the competitive side of the game is a, is a big side of the of this game, I find it's much less so than it is in um, say 40k age of sigmar um you know star wars legion flames of war like all of that um like you talked about theme and it's that's kind of the one thing that i find that this game has that most of the other games don't have they do not have that at all um you know, I, I kind of like laugh a little bit sometimes when I hear people talk about the competitive side of the game. And I know it's like I respect it because, you know, a lot of people go to events just to be test themselves competitively. But uh, but I always kind of snicker, I guess, to myself because, you know, it's you, you can't really measure yourself competitively playing MESBG, in my opinion, um, just because it's not an even playing field. You know, like uh, you don't go to many events like this where half the people there are taking uncompetitive armies. And, you know, they're, you know, for a, for a competitive player, they're just gimme games that, you know, you're going to win. Well, that that's not a test of, of how good of a competitor you are when, you know, half of the field isn't really trying to compete. They're just there for fun. And any game like this, you know, in spite of the fact that the designers do a great job in trying to balance the game, it's not a balanced game. No game like this is balanced. Um, so again, it, trying to use this as a tool to measure how good you are as a competitor, it's just not a sharp enough tool. Um, you may as well just go and try to have as much fun as you can, really. That's the way I look at it. But anyway, Michael, thank you very much for that uh, response. Really great response. Um, and hopefully you keep listening and enjoying the podcast. And thanks again. All right, I'm going to end off this episode with what have I got in my pocket? And even though Andrew isn't here, I had a question all prepared for Andrew. So I will ask it to you, the listeners. All right, and it's a trivia question on Lord of the Rings. So here it is. Name the place that once endured a siege that lasted for 50 years? And it's a multiple choice question. A, Fornost. B, Minas Tirith. C, Rivendell. D, Osgiliath. All right. Those are your choices. So send us an email and let us know what you think is the right answer. Uh, I definitely know there is a right answer. I'm not sure if there's more than one. I don't think there is, but I definitely know one of those is the correct answer. 
Anyway, that's it for another episode. Uh, Hopefully we can get back to a more regular schedule of releases, but don't hold your breath. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us for another episode here on North of the Shire.